It feels almost like if we don't document it, did it happen? And I need proof that it did. I was listening to an interview with Aaron Napier of Hometown on Southern Living's Biscuits and Jam podcast recently, and this statement stayed with me. A major part of my personality is documenting, she said, and I nodded to myself. I've always been this way, collecting and curating, organizing and reflecting, keeping notebooks on the bedside table to write down memories, poems, and story snippets. As a student, I loved the old-fashioned process of looking something up in an encyclopedia, back when encyclopedia meant a real book, with entries organized alphabetically. Writing down facts and quotes on index cards and cataloging my research as I went. During my doctoral studies, I immersed myself in qualitative research practices. So interviews, recordings, transcripts, writing memos, and collecting artifacts. All of these documents taken together helped me start to see connections, gain new perspective, and recognize themes as they emerged. As I reflected on this recently, I recognized that I've carried this practice into my studio. I look for ways to document what's happening, make the intangible moments of music making more tangible, and collect artifacts. With this recognition and acknowledgement of documentation as a practice, I turned to the research. In this episode, I'm sharing what I learned about the art and practice of documentation, six things I'm documenting in the studio lately, some practical resources I use to track and organize this data, and suggestions for developing this practice in your music studio. I'm Ashley Danu, and you're listening to Field Notes on Music Teaching and Learning. Writing field notes is a way of documenting and processing what we see in the world. This podcast is a collection of creative ideas, practical strategies, and thoughtful observations from the field of music teaching and learning. Here, you'll find creative and pedagogically sound teaching tips, fresh new approaches you can use in your teaching, and insight into a few tried and true systems and creative processes designed to help you do your best work. Let's get started. Suzanne Brier, nicknamed Madame Documentation, was a 20th century librarian, writer, historian, and poet. She is famous for her definition of a document as, quote, evidence in support of a fact, end quote. She explained, a document is, quote, any physical or symbolic sign, preserved or recorded, intended to represent to reconstruct, or to demonstrate a physical or conceptual phenomenon, end quote. Today, eight decades later, our definition of documentation would likely center on our unique perception of this evidence and why we consider it meaningful. What does this document or artifact represent to us as teachers or learners? What does it reconstruct or illustrate about the learner or the creative process? What phenomena did we experience or witness, and why is it significant or meaningful? These questions are based on the theory of social construction, which suggests, quote, people construct 
i.e. create, make, invent, their understandings of the world and the meanings they give to encounters with others, or various products they or others create, end quote. Social construction tells us this is a shared collaborative process. It's one that we do with our students. It's specific to us and situated in our teaching environment. It's informed by culture and community. This informs what we see and how we find it meaningful. With that in mind, here are six things I'm documenting in my studio lately and how and why they're meaningful to me as a musician and teacher. Number one, rhythmic reading. Earlier this year, I purchased Rhythm Keeper Volume 1 by Musical Husky. See episode 59 for more on practicing rhythm and private lessons. My students love these progressive rhythm exercises and have developed a new level of confidence in their rhythm counting that they're beginning to transfer into their playing. In recent months, I've taken short videos of some of my students clapping and counting exercises from this book. It's interesting for me to review these recordings later and study the student's ability to maintain a steady beat, where they hesitate, and when they get so caught up in reading that they just automatically go on to the next example without pause. I also used this book in a buddy lesson with two rising second grade students, and I found it difficult in the moment to evaluate how each student was doing because I was trying to facilitate and establish tempo, etc., But having a video recording helped me to study the confidence and accuracy of each student individually after the fact. I keep videos like this in a folder on my computer labeled Studio Moments and then the Year. This makes it easy to go back and reference these moments rather than digging through all my personal photos and videos. Also, if you're interested in learning more about the creator behind Musical Husky, I did an interview with Samantha Stites on the Musician and Company blog last year, and I will link to that in the show notes. Number two is improvisations. I talked about this in the last episode, episode 66, a winter improvisation prompt for elementary piano students. Making quick iPhone audio recordings of student improvisations in lessons helps me stay present, especially when I'm playing or improvising an accompaniment. Reviewing the recordings later gives me an opportunity to listen critically to the quality of the improvisation, the skills the student is demonstrating, and their creativity at work. I can assess things more objectively, which means I have a better understanding of what the student actually knows and can do. This informs future improvisation prompts and challenges that I share with that student. Another benefit of collecting these artifacts through the years is the ability to compare multiple students' responses to the same prompt, which provides greater insight into the process of musical creativity and stages of music development. I store these audio files with my other studio files in a subfolder labeled by the prompt, for instance, Snowflake Improv. If a student improvises on their own in lessons on a regular basis, I often create a folder just for them where I save their audio and video improv recordings. Number three is stories and conversations. I've mentioned my teaching journal a couple of times. See episode 18 and episode 62. 
This is where I document interactions, conversations, those aha moments and takeaways from my lessons. I set this up in Evernote. I have a notebook called Teaching Journal and then a note for each year. Within each note, I have a heading for each month so I can see when the story or interaction occurred. I try to write down these stories as soon as possible, especially if I'm trying to document a student's words. Sometimes I'll write it out in an email to myself and then write a longer version in Evernote the next time I'm at my computer. This has been a helpful practice for reconstructing and preserving a specific moment or experience with a student, and it's been the foundation for several episodes of this podcast. Number four is off-the-bench activities. I was scrolling through my camera roll recently, and I found several photos and a few short videos of students engaged in off-the-bench activities a beginning student arranging musical alphabet cards, a fifth grader chanting the rhythm of Kabalevsky's scherzo as she skips down the hallway after her lesson, a second grader notating a Halloween composition, a student imitating dotted rhythm patterns on a drum set, the perks of having a lesson on Wednesday when I teach in the jazz room. Again, I save these photos in the Studio Moments folder on my computer, to reflect on throughout the year. Also, if you're curious about the musical alphabet cards, I just created a listing for them in my shop, and I will include a link to that in the show notes. Number five is compositions. Compositions are a natural artifact in music teaching and learning, a tangible representation of musical creativity and understanding. I like to take pictures of my students' compositions to record and preserve this moment in their musical development. What will they remember about this experience, looking back in a few years? I talked about my own experience with this as a piano student back in episode 56, The Valentine Composition Project. I shared, quote, Despite my hesitancy and uncertainty about this project in the weeks leading up to Valentine's Day each year, I do remember feeling a sense of pride in seeing my musical compositions in written form. And I recognized the value of spending time each year developing our creative music skills, exploring, developing, refining, and learning how to write it down. End quote. I hope my students can experience this as well. I'd like to keep records of my students' compositions in a subfolder called Creativity. Here, I have a folder for each student where I keep photos of their handwritten compositions and any notation files that I have from when I notated compositions for them. Number six is lesson plans. I've been documenting my lesson plans for 18 months now. This practice of pre-planning lessons has helped me be more intentional about preparatory and reinforcement activities, a balance of on and off the bench activities, and diversity in the types of musical skills that we work on together in lessons, oral skills, reading and rote pieces, musical creativity, theory, technique, and sight reading. Documenting my lesson plans has also given me a big picture view of a student's journey through a particular method book and how the pacing may differ from student to student. 
In addition, it's helped me remember and reconstruct learning opportunities that I used with one student with another who's at the same point in the book. For more on this topic, listen to episode 47, an inside look at my lesson planning process. So now let's shift and talk about how you can develop a practice of documentation in your studio. Here are a few questions to consider. First is what happened? This may be something that you're assessing or evaluating in a lesson, something you're watching or listening for in performance, or it could be something that happens spontaneously that you weren't expecting. Maybe even something that happens in your own practicing. If it captures your attention, think about a way to document it with a video or audio recording, a photo, or by writing about the experience later. I also find it helpful to capture the student's perception of what happened as well. The second question is how did it happen? Think like a lawyer and build a case based on the evidence you've collected. What does the document prove? Journaling can be helpful here. Think about what led up to that specific moment that you documented. What happened right before? What influences can you trace? What do you hear or see? And third is why does it matter? This is where you take that step back and study all the information. What made this moment meaningful to you or your student or both? What does it represent or illustrate? And why does this matter to you? This kind of reflection can help you recognize patterns, gain new insights into how we learn, and bring a greater level of care, intention, and curiosity into your practice. One final thought is to be intentional about what you're documenting and why. In a 2018 article on document theory, Librarian, author, and academic dean Michael Buckland noted, quote, An object is considered a document if it does, or could, reveal or signify something. A document is expected to be actually or potentially meaningful, end quote. If you're prone to documenting things like I am, be careful about documenting for the sake of documenting, without having a clear sense of why it matters. I'd love to hear from you. Do you use documentation in your teaching practice? Do you document things as they occur in your practicing? I'd love to hear what your process looks like. Hopefully this inspires you to develop this practice in the coming year. Thanks so much for listening today. For written notes, related links, and more information on today's topic, visit ashleydanew.com slash fieldnotes. You can find me on Instagram at ashleydanew. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean so much if you'd subscribe and leave a review in Apple Podcasts. This will help others discover this content in the future. Plus, I'd love to hear what you like about the show and if there's anything specific you'd like to hear in the future. Again, thanks so much for tuning in today. See you next time.